In this episode of Locked On Capitals, I'm joined once again by Andrew Gillis of NBC Sports Washington as we talk about the future of the Washington Capitals, what players are coming, what players are going, who is going to be starting in net. We'll talk about all of that and more next on this edition of Locked On Capitals. Locked On Capitals, your daily podcast on the Washington Capitals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Well, hello and welcome into this edition of Locked On Capitals. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. As always, this podcast is free and available on all the major platforms. And I want to thank you for making this your first listen or view of the day. Yes, this podcast is also available in video form, so head on over to YouTube and check that out. My name is Dan Holmey. You can find me on Twitter. It's at DanCaps218. You can find the show on Twitter. It's at LockedOnCaps. So in this edition, I am joined by Andrew Gillis of NBC Sports Washington, and we talk about the future of the Capitals next. So in this episode of Locked On Capitals, I am joined once again by Andrew Gillis of NBC Sports Washington as we talk a little bit about what is next for the Washington Capitals. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So some of the biggest questions out there for the Washington Capitals, the most notable thing is the netminding situation. Uh, so we know that we have Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov and uh, kind of an unproven commodity in this last season. And we all saw how that went for the Washington Capitals. So it's been my idea that the Washington Capitals will most likely go with Vitek Vanacek or Ilya Samsonov as the number two. I ultimately think they'll pick up that veteran netminder as the number one uh, netminder for the Washington Capitals. What are your thoughts about the goaltending situation? Yeah, you know, it's a tricky situation because, you know, I think it was on this podcast that we, we talked about this where, you know, you, you could go with Vitek Vanacek, the, maybe the more steady guy, maybe the more, I, I guess, quote unquote, reliable guy, the guy who you, you know what you're going to get. I mean, his save percentage has been exactly the same. I believe it's been a 908 for two straight years in the NHL. So you could go with him. You could go with Samsonov, who kind of gives you that upside that we saw in the Florida series. I mean, I, I think I, I told this to somebody at the time. Um, you know, you could look at Game Three against the uh, against the Florida Panthers. Samsonov gives up that first goal. I don't think Vanacek gives up that first goal, but I'm not sure Vanacek keeps Florida off the board for the remainder of that day because uh, Florida really pushed in, in Games Three and Four, and Samsonov played well. So, you know, it's it's going to be tough. I, if I had to pick gun to my head right now, my gut would be you lean Vanacek, um, not just because of the stability, but uh, Ilya Samsonov made $2 million uh, this past season. Vitek Vanacek made 716667 I believe. So you're probably going to get Vanacek, or at least you could theoretically get Vanacek a little bit cheaper than you could get Samsonov. And like you said, if you're going to get that guy to be the 1B, the backup situation, I'm not sure you want to be spending an extra $500,000, $750,000, whatever that may be. So right now I would say Vanacek, but I mean, if Billy Samsonov is here next year and Vitek Vanacek is not, I would not be surprised with the slides. 
Yeah, because uh, Ilya Samsonov uh, made around the two million dollar mark. So right. I mean, he and that was a prove me deal. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, I think that he could have demanded the king's ransom, but through some reckless behavior, I know the UTV accident wasn't his uh, fault. And, uh, probably, but then there was the COVID stuff where he invited all the fellow Russian guys to his hotel room and then Kuznetsov came down with COVID. So, I mean, I think that, you know, um, just being that he's a young player, he made some mistakes, uh, Ilya Samsonov, but kind of the book on Ilya Samsonov that I hear is that he is the better athlete. Um, he's the guy that's going to make a great save one moment and maybe allow a soft goal the next. Um, but c- consistency has been the issue with both of those uh, netminders. Is that your thought process too? Is it that Washington Capitals will pick up a number one netminder and then one of the whoever we talked about, Vanacek or Samsonov, will be the number two? I mean, that's my take. What is your take on it? Or is it just going to be a, a, a battle in the training camp as to how that all turns out? Yeah, I think they're going to keep one of them and one of them's going to head for greener pastures. Now, it's going to be an interesting situation because both of them are RFA, so you do technically still have their rights. So there's there's a lot of of balls up in the air here because, you know, we we've talked about the goalie situation as it relates to bringing in a veteran in that, you know, they had mentioned at the deadline and by they I mean Brian McClellan said that okay, maybe we could bring in a veteran goalie because he didn't so much as talk about the percentages, the save percentages. He talked about the the timely saves. And and maybe a veteran goalie makes that save when you need him to. And, you know, I think we saw that in the Florida series where, you know, Nick Dowd puts him up one nothing. Maybe you get a save the other way to keep it one nothing, And then that backstrom goal in the third puts you up 2 nothing, and you're in a better spot. Or, you know, you can just kind of go through. So I think a veteran goalie is still on their on their board, but, um, you know, the, there are other concerns on this roster too, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but you know, there's injuries at forward and you've got to start accounting for that money and, and that's got to come from somewhere. So I think the veteran trade market is going to be where they explore. There are a couple pretty interesting names. Um, you know, you could look at a Semyon Varlamov who Caps fans know really well. Um, you know, he's in a crowded goalie crease up in, up on uh, Long Island. It's, kind of expensive it's like 11 million dollars 12 million dollars if you include that together jonathan quick out in la same situation you got a younger goalie expensive goalie coming up he's got a new extension kicking it so there are options there i think for veteran goalies and it's it's going to be a really really interesting summer to see yeah, I was talking with one of the guys from the hockey writers, and he talked about Huso as a possibility. And I thought, well, that's right. a, kind of an interesting name out there as well. So then we also have to kind of look internally. Do they have someone down in Hershey, Fukali, or um, uh, Shepard? I mean, do you think that there's an, a, one of those guys could rise to the surface? Because there is the the possibility. I know you said you know that our RFAs and the Capitals have their rights, but. There is the possibility, I suppose, that the Capitals could have uh, Vanacek and Samsonov leave the team. I think that's highly unlikely. But do you think that uh, Fukali or Shepard would be up for the challenge? I know Phoenix Copley's in the mix there, too, but we kind of know what we have in him. Um, I think that uh, Fukali is poised, at least at some point here, to make his big push on a, on a big team. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, you know, I, I think Copley is one of those guys where you, you really like him as a third in the organization. And, and I think Fukali, he can kind of build into that. I know they were very high on the um, on the college goalie that they just signed this past year, uh, Clay Stevenson. I, I know they really liked him, but I mean, he hasn't played in, in professional hockey yet. 
So you're really going to say, okay, he's our number two, or we're going to count on him to be in Washington by the end. I just don't know if you could do that. So, you know, maybe you could talk down the line. Maybe we're doing this podcast in a year and we're saying play Stevenson. I like where he's at, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, maybe we're saying, oh, Hunter Shepard, same thing. Right now, I, I just think you have to go outside the organization. Um, now, again, maybe it's like, and we can be totally honest here, maybe the answer is here and you bring in a guy and then all of a sudden Vitek Panacek becomes your number one and, or Ilya Samsonov becomes your number one. And then all of a sudden Jonathan Quick or, you know, you mentioned Huso or Jordan Bennington or whoever is the backup is your 1B de facto backup. And I don't think the Capitals would hate that. Like if you, if you bring in a guy to be your, to be your starter and he just happens to be your backup, so be it. So, you know, maybe I, I, I'm still not going to discount uh, any of those options happening, but for this particular off season going into the 2022, 23 season, I think the option has to be external. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and expecting a different result. And, you know, Capitals fans feel free to bang your head against the wall. If it's the start of next season and it's Vanacek and Sam Sonoff. Um, I think that uh, there'll be some more questions that need to be answered after that. So just looking at this off season in general, um, do you think that they'll, they'll be able to get that big netminder before the start of, of this coming season? I know that uh, we've talked about some big names and I know, that uh, Marc-Andre Fleury is a name that's often floated out there as well. I think that, uh, you know, that's a Hail Mary pass that a wide receiver is not going to catch. Um, otherwise, some other big names out there, Braden Holpe for the nostalgia Washington Capitals fans, you know, the fans that hope that this is 2018 and we can realign the stars and all of a sudden the Capitals will be Stanley Cup contenders. Um, do, you, do you think that they're, they're going to get this player or do you think that there is some strange possibility that the Capitals will be like, hey, you know, my detractors will say it wasn't the, the netminders, it was the defense. Uh, their argument is, is that the, the tandem of Vanacek and Samsonov got them to 100 points and that uh, if the Capitals weren't in the Metro division, that maybe they would have been in first place. So, I, I, mean, I, I mean, it's kind of an odd question, but do you think there right. is a possibility that they go into next season with Vanacek and Samsonov? Um. No, I, I, I think um, I, I think there will be some movement there. I think one of the things that maybe has kind of gotten lost in the last handful of years is that Brian McClellan, when he sees a problem, he tells you what he's going to do to fix it, and he's going to fix it. And he's mentioned this goalie situation a few times too many now for me to not you know have the antenna raised. So you you did bring up a good point there with. You know, the the goalie situation, it got you to 100 points. It gave you what you needed, and it was not the reason they lost to the Florida Panthers. So I think, in a way, the goalie pendulum has kind of swung. I think it started out, yeah, they probably need a, a more reliable guy, a veteran guy, a guy who can be that true, he's the guy, don't worry about it. And then all of a sudden, it kind of became, well, their goaltending situation is clearly just the worst in the league. And but it, it felt like it kind of moved back the other way. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm they, they played well enough, like you said, to get them to 100 points. But I think they're going to go outside the organization because, like, w when I mentioned the McClellan thing, 
you got to think about it. Like he took over, oh my God, almost a decade ago. Wow. We're all getting older, but he, when he came on, you know, what were the things that he did? Okay. He signed Matt Niskan and Brooks Orp because he said the defense was not good enough. Then he goes, okay, we need more offense. We need another third line center trades for Lars Eller trades for TJ Oshie, TJ Oshie. I mean, that trade obviously unbelievable, but then even down the line, you go sign a Justin Williams, you make the Kevin Shattenkirk trade, and I will defend that Shattenkirk trade until the cows come home. But you you do that right before the pandemic. I know it's easy to forget now. Traded for Ilya Kovalchuk. Uh, traded for Brendan Dillon. You got Nick Jet. Like, he will go out and do things that make the team better at a particular need, and he's not shy about saying it, and he's not shy about doing it. So – I really think we are at a point now where Brian McClellan is like, okay, I, I'm going to fix this. This is going to get, this is going to get rectified. So I, I would assume that this happens just kind of by history and, and then kind of looking at the entire situation for the Capitals. Yeah. You got to think that there's going to be some changes that are going to take place right. in that. All right. So after the break here, we are going to continue to talk with Andrew Gillis of NBC Sports Washington. We're going to talk about what injuries worry him and worry me, to be honest with you, and then what players are most likely going to be done. We'll talk about that after the break. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. All right, welcome back. We are joined with Andrew Gillis of NBC Sports Washington. So some of the biggest concerns um, out there, my biggest concern is Nicholas Backstrom. Um, he did not rule out retirement. And uh, when I was listening to Elliot Friedman, um, that was one of the things that kind of caught him by surprise too, is that he didn't rule out retirement. Generally speaking, when you uh, talk to athletes, they always put on a strong face and they say, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do and, and I'm go going to come back. But it was kind of an odd Nicholas Backstrom. He looked extremely frustrated in that post-game uh, uh, presser, or it was kind of the breakdown day, I guess. He didn't rule out retirement. How concerned are you about Nicholas Backstrom and the possibility that he may have played his last game with the Washington Capitals? Yeah, you know, I, I've been asked this a lot, as you can probably imagine, and I've been thinking about this a lot, as you can probably imagine. And it's it's just such a – it's a – like – Tough isn't even the word to describe, you know, how how upsetting the situation has to be for him, for the organization, for the fans. Because to me, Nicholas Backstrom, like you can talk everybody when you think Washington Capitals, you think Alex Ovechkin. But Nicholas Backstrom has been right there every step of the way. You know, he obviously everybody knows he got that cut pass right after Ovechkin had it, passed it right to Nick. Like Nick is ingrained in this franchise's history and no one I don't think will, but no one ever should wear number 19 again. Like this is the type of player that we're talking about and we're, we're talking about a hall of fame level player. And he just, you know what we just, it reached a point where he was clearly laboring down the end of the season. Um, and you could just tell he didn't have 
he didn't have that step that he used to. Now, one of the things about Backstrom, I remember when he signed his contract was, well, he's not a speedster. He's not a physical specimen that is never going to go away. And I, I forget, it was one of the games in Florida, game one or game two, I think it was game one, where he had a wonderful pass to TJ Oshie to set up a goal. Um, like he just, he still had that. This, the hip was clearly an issue. And, and, you know, we weren't allowed in the locker room this year just due to COVID protocols and everything like that. But the guys that were in the room that talked about him, especially the ones that were closer to him, I mean, they taught, like, it was, they, it sounded, you know, not, it, not to, you know, be over exaggerating. It sounded horrific. Like Nick, they talked about all the extra work he had to do, all the extra days he had to put in, all the extra time he had to put in, all the extra therapy he had to put just to play, like just to get on the ice. And, you know, Nick Dowd said something along the lines of like, you know, he puts in more work to get on the ice than 90% of the NHL does every single day. And, And I think that that just kind of illuminates how much, it was a struggle for Nick to play really this year. And, you know, you obviously want the best for him personally and, and physically. Um, but, you know, it, it is going to be a really, really tough decision because like you mentioned, when Brian McClellan got asked, is this sustainable to play of the year? Nick said no. Mm-hmm. Um, or he said no about Nick. And, you know, that kind of, that kind of opened up the ears. I remember I went to breakdown day and I'm thinking, got my stories in my head, got this. And the more people started talking about Nick, the more you went, this is, this is different. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I know this is a long-winded answer, but, you know, Nick, like, y- you don't want to see anybody live in type of pain in, in any kind of anything. So we'll have to see because he's got three more years left on a deal at, you know, 9.2, I think, million dollars per year. So, you know, obviously he deserves every penny of that and probably right. a little bit more. Um, so, you know, he'll get that, but it, it's going to be a really interesting off season to see, because truthfully, I, I don't know where it's going to go. I don't, I'm not sure anybody knows where it's going to go. Um, as of two weeks ago, Nick didn't seem like he knew where he wanted it to go. So maybe things have changed and, you know, maybe as soon as we finish up here, we'll get some news. But right now it is just, it feels very up in the air and you just want what's best for him. And you want, I mean, truthfully, everybody wants to see number 19 back on the ice of Capital One. Yeah, and that's a big thing. It's just removing hockey from the equation. I know right. it's easy to be, you know, selfish and, you know, it's about the Capitals, damn it. But, I mean, this is a guy that's got to live the rest of his life after hockey. And, uh, you know, if I'm Nick Backstrom, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm putting all this effort into rehabilitation. I'm on the wrong side of 30. Am I going to come back and risk injury again? I guess it depends on your mindset. I am not an NHL player, as you can tell. But uh, you got to think to a certain extent that those got that's must must go through their head. I know that there's pride that's involved with that as well. But if there's one other player that I think this impacts more than anyone else, it's Alex Ovechkin. Alex Ovechkin, you know, uh, you could argue that he wouldn't be the player that he is today if it wasn't Nick Backstrom. But Nick Backstrom is this guy that just shrugs off any accolades that are thrown in his direction. Uh, Just a very he eats a steady diet of humble pie, um, uh, to be sure. But uh, you got to think that uh, Alex Ovechkin would be devastated if uh, Nick Backstrom left. I know that they don't oftentimes play on the same line together anymore, but it seems like when the Capitals want to get that goal scoring touch, they put those two guys back on on the same line together and they, and they make sweet music every time they play. So the other injury that I'm going to talk about, um, I think, you know, where I'm going here is Tom Wilson sustained that knee injury. I think the last time we spoke was during the playoffs. So I haven't had a chance to talk to you since then. 
is that uh, he went in to check Uyghur and Uyghur kind of turned away from it. And then Tom Wilson kind of took an odd angle. When I watched that play, never in a million years did I think that was the end of his season. I thought that, you know, maybe he'd miss a shift and come back. And then he took a couple spins around the ice during intermission, but that was it. How worried are you about Tom Wilson? I know that he's revered around the league as a tough guy, a goon, but most goons don't score 20-plus goals. Ryan Reeves, if you're listening, I'm talking to you. How worried are you about Tom Wilson? Uh, I know it's been speculated he won't be back until December, so that does leave some time before his return. What are your thoughts on Tom Wilson? Yeah, you know, worried in the physical sense is, is a little bit different than Nicholas Backstrom because, you know, when we talk about Nick, Nick said the hip is never going to be 100%. So it's just a matter of is that available? I mean, not uh, ACL reconstruction is, is pretty serious, uh, but it's also not uncommon. You know, in terms of injuries, this is one of the knee injuries. When when somebody says, oh, I tore something in my knee, everybody's first instinct is ACL. So, you know, this is this is something that, that people really – kind of can come back from without long-term, without issues like that. So, you know, obviously, you know, you, you wish the best for Tom in getting back to the ice as quickly as he can and as healthy as he can. Um, so that that's not the worry with him. The, the, the other worry with, with Tom is um, you're not going to have him from, you know, when, when the, from the day that he had that surgery – they said, I believe, six to eight months. That timeline extrapolated out takes you like a best case optimistic late November, you know, end of that timeline is late January. I mean, if you get him back, let's just throw out a date for hypothetical sake, January 25th. I mean, there's two months left in the season at that point. How many games are you playing in 60, 70 days? Maybe 30? That's a big blow. I mean, because we're talking about a Capitals team, you know, and you kind of mentioned it at the, at the jump. We're talking about a Capitals team that wants to get younger, that wants to play with a little bit more, um, play with a little more, more juice, I guess you could say. And Tom Wilson is that guy personified. I mean, I, I said this before, like Tom Wilson, in terms of all three zones of the ice, I think you can make a very, very good case that he is the most valuable player and when you just throw everything together, and I know that sounds insane when Alex Ovechkin mm-hmm. scores 50 goals, but you don't have a guy that can play the penalty kill, the power play, top line minutes, be a physical presence. And Evgeny Kuznetsov, I, I asked uh, Kuznetsov, you know, how much Wilson's absence kind of contributed to the series. And he goes, yeah, I think their defensemen were a little bit, you know, they had an extra second to throw away the puck. They weren't as worried. Like he kind of made a joke about it, but like that's 100% true. When you've got 43 barreling down on you, that's a problem. And he just, he gives you so much on the ice, in the locker room. The fans love him. So every time Wilson hits the ice, fans cheer. Like it's going to be a blow. And we're talking about a Capitals team, like we mentioned, Backstrom, that's going to be maybe pretty injured uh, next season. And we haven't even played a game yet. And I'm going to ask you this next question here, and I know it really doesn't matter, but it's just I'm I'm seeking your opinion on it since you cover the team. Is uh, Tom Wilson? He missed uh, he missed uh, every game after the first game. That that was it. He didn't play another game. And the Capitals, I think, kind of knew that he wasn't going to come back. Do you what difference do you think it would have made if Tom Wilson came back? I, do you think it would have been enough, or do you think it would have pushed it out to a game seven? How big of an impact was Tom Wilson's absence through the uh, remainder of that series? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to say Wilson would have won them the series. Um, 
but <laughs> I think they I think you could make a case that they push seven because like Tom Wilson played ninety one seconds in the first round and drew a penalty and scored a goal. Pretty good, pretty good three shifts right. in the in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So, um, and I, I admit, you know, maybe this is just the way. If this was a quote unquote normal series, if the Capitals had lost, you know, kind of going away, or if they had lost, kind of trailing the whole time, maybe I'd feel a little bit differently. But we're talking about game. They 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 lost game two. They got they got blown out, throw it away. Come back to Washington. You win going away lose game four by that much where oh. Arna Hathaway hits the outside of the cage, Marcus Johansson gets stopped on a breakaway. Like you're like, maybe we get that one extra bounce. Maybe we get that one extra play. You go up three to nothing in, in game five. Maybe Wilson's there to kind of help you out, protect that lead, add to that lead game six. You're up late. Like you, you can just, you can talk yourself into saying Tom Wilson would have made a difference in that series. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say they would have won that series without Tom Wilson, um, and and I don't. I think certainly their chances going forward would have been severely dampened if you had to go play the Tampa Bay Lightning. But I think you could make a pretty good case that that series goes at least seven. Yeah, I mean that's what I, I kind of think to myself, and I've talked to different guys on the show. How you know if it would have made a difference? Kind of what everyone else has thought is you know maybe it would have pushed to to a game seven, but I don't think anyone out there thinks that that would have been you know would have made the series. And honestly, if the Capitals would have won, they would have gone on to play what is it, the Lightning? Um, yeah. So I don't think they would they would they would have made it past the Lightning anyway. All right. Yeah. So after the break here, we are going to continue to talk with Andrew Gillis of NBC Sports Washington. We are going to talk about what players we think are going to move on, what additions are going to be made after the break. All right. Welcome back to this edition of Locked On Capitals. I am joined once again by Andrew Gillis of NBC Sports Washington. So as we head into this, what they call crazy season, there's no doubt that the Capitals, you know, one of the articles that you wrote about, you talked about going younger. And I think that uh, that it's, we do want to go younger. I mean, this is a league that's getting younger and faster out there. Um, I think that, you know, I've spoke with some different people on this show the last couple of weeks and a couple of the players that we think that the Capitals may move on from is Lars Eller. I think that you can make an argument that uh, Connor McMichael could fill that spot. Uh, also that Schultz probably played his last game with the Washington Capitals. So that's what I've heard, my ta- uh, our take on it. What are your thoughts? Who are some of the players at the Capitals that you perceive are, that are going to move on from? So the the moving on from part is is going to be pretty interesting because you know we we talked about Nicholas Backstrom and whatever's going to happen there, but I think it's safe to assume that he's going to need some new kind of therapy, some new kind of whatever. So Lars Eller, it feels like for the last six months or so has been the guy where everybody says, oh, well, run him out of town, blah, 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 $3.5 million cap hit. He's only got a year left. You could get rid of that. Well, if Nicholas Backstrom is not available or if Nicholas Backstrom isn't going to be available until Tom Wilson, like whatever the situation is, are you going to be willing to get rid of a Lars Eller? And then all of a sudden your center depth is Evgeny Kuznetsov, Connor McMichael, Nick Dowd, Lexi Protot, like, are you willing to go with now? Maybe they are, maybe they're just willing to totally lean into it. Um, because Lars Heller is 33 years old, so maybe you just say this is this is the way it's going to be. But if Backstrom's going to be Backstrom's going to be there, I think Lars Eller 
definitely becomes more expendable because Peter Laviolette and Brian McClellan said on breakdown day, like we, we got to find a spot for McMichael specifically at center and you just do some process of elimination. It, it kind of leads you down one path. Um, I, I think Justin Schultz has gone too. Um, I, I just think that with the need to get younger, they've got some guys on the blue line that they like in Alex Alexiev in Lucas Johansson, everything that we've heard about him this season was that he had a very, very good bounce back year. And then I think, you know, it's kind of easy to easy to forget now, but Trevor Van Reems like made the jump from the right side to the left side this year, specifically to play with Justin Schultz on that third pair. Now you kind of move him back because Alexiev and Johansson are left-handed shots. Then the defense kind of sorts itself out. So there are options there. Um, I think the defense is probably the most underrated storyline facing this team this offseason. Because um, if you look at it, Dimitri Orlov, Nick Jensen, Trevor Van Riemsdyk are going to be UFAs at the end of next season, at this time next year. Martin Faravari and Alex Alexiev are going to be RFAs. So maybe they want to go in with more – maybe they want to go – like. Maybe you just say Lucas Johansson, Alexiev, we're going to try and get them in the lineup as much as possible. Those are two guys that we really like. Maybe they decide that we've got to start extending guys because we can't have that many guys on contract here. So there's a lot of interesting questions there. Um, the UFAs, I'm trying to think here. Marcus Johansson, I, I think that's probably it. Um, they've, they've already got 14 forwards under contract now. Three of those guys are Tom Wilson, Nicholas Backstrom, and Carl Haglin, and their physical futures, at least two of them, remain kind of unknown. So maybe they're going to have to make some moves there. But I think Johansson's gone, um, unless it unless it's very, very cheap. And I, and I pretty much think Johan Larson is going gonna, is gonna to head out. Um, so there, there are options, but, you know, kind of like we talked about, it's going to be like a cascading effect. Basically, you've got one domino at the top of a hill, and then like 10 different paths of dominoes and you could really go a bunch of different ways with it. So th there's a lot of different guys. Um, Hendrix LaPierre is going to probably play in the AHL next season, but does he work his way into the NHL? I don't know. Um, there, there's interesting fits. I think that you can, you can talk yourself into for next year for the Capitals. Yeah, and a lot of those players, uh, they had their chance. Uh, Hendricks LaPierre had his opportunity, Protoss and Leeson, uh, with uh, some mixed results there. But Martin Faravari was a pleasant addition, or you know, he fit in well with his Capitals team. And uh, that's what I was talking about. I talked about with J.J. Regan a few months ago, and he said that, you know, it worked for a while, but it wasn't sustainable with those younger players. You know, they'd have a, a couple games where they'd score a bunch of goals and then just totally drop off. So, I mean, I think that the, the Capitals, I mean, we've talked about it for many years, uh, well, at least a, lot, a couple of years anyway, that they need to go younger. They haven't made it past the first round since 2018. So this is the time. You know, I, I've talked yeah. to different people, and you know what they say is that if they don't do anything by next season, that will do it. So what, are we going to just kind of aim right at another first round exit again? That is crazy talk if you're asking me. So just to finish up here, let's talk about two other uh, uh, players or actually people that work for the Washington Capitals coaches and general manager, Brian McClellan and Peter Laviolette. How safe are their jobs? Let's start with Brian McClellan. I know that I spoke with you about this in the previous pod about that, you know, he did what he could do. But oftentimes the, uh, what they'll do is they'll move on from a GM that doesn't, uh, you know, seem like they're doing enough. Is Brian McClellan's job safe? Uh, considering that he knew that there was an, an issue in net and kind of turned a blind eye to it. And surprise, surprise, the Capitals made another first-round exit. 
Yeah, I, I think so. Um, because I think, you know, I, I actually kind of brought this up at the beginning of the show when, when he sees an issue, he goes and fixes it. We talked about the Niskan and then the Orpic move. We talked about the, the Eller and the Oshi trades. I mean, those were great trades really. And, and those were trades that they might not have won them a Stanley cup, but they won back-to-back trophies on the back of that. And I think, I mean, I always kind of think back to this, like, I wonder what the history of the Capitals would look like. Do they still only have one cup if one game in 2016 against the Penguins goes differently? One game in 2017 against the Penguins goes differently. So he really, he kind of constructed from a team that was not a playoff team, but still had a lot of talent to a President's Trophy winner in pretty short order. Um, I know this industry is kind of what have you done for me lately, but when you look at it, you, you had to keep Backstrom. You were not letting Backstrom go. So there's $9.2 million you cap right there. Um, you After you won the cup, you, you're not going to let John Carlson go. So you had to re-up Carlson. Um, you, you just kind of go and look at some of the moves that, that were made and kind of had to be made. Um, and I, I just think that for one reason or another that – the team was what it was and and that was kind of the situation so you know i i think he's i think he's totally safe um i i kind of will defend him in that regard because i think that uh you look at the additions that he's made um nick jensen has played pretty well over the last year two years or so um carl haglin was pretty much exactly what he was advertised to be a great defensive forward like you just the the, the signings that he made the the moves that he made to kind of keep everything together, that was pretty much, I think, what anybody would do in that spot, especially when you have a player like Nicholas Backstrom and Alex Ovechkin and John Carlson who need contract extensions because everybody can say, oh, I can't, you know, they got to they gotta do this, they got to get younger. But it, in practicality, when you lay everything out, it's a lot easier said than done. So so I, I think McClellan's totally safe. I, um, I And I actually would have a lot of confidence in him this summer um, you know, maybe four years down the line, if they haven't won a playoff series, we could have a different conversation. But for now, I, I think he's totally fine. Yeah. And then just the last one here, Peter Laviolette. I know that there's that crazy coaching carousel out there. Um, and if you want to take a look at it, it's just, you know, it's a knee jerk reaction. We lost. So I'm going to move on from this coach. One of the craziest moves I've seen so far is the New York Islanders moving on from Barry Trotz in favor of Lane Lambert. I think we saw this in D.C. when we did it for Todd Reardon. And what wonderful, uh, how well that worked out for the Washington Capitals, didn't it? So <laughs> I, I just think it's kind of crazy how they like to just kind of keep recycling these coaches around the league. Do you think that Laviolette's job is safe? I, I think that he did a good job. I don't think there was any time during the season where I thought to myself, you know, that was a dumb mistake. Why did he do that? How safe do you think Peter Laviolette's job is with this team? Yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you on that one. I think I looked at the um, the Panther series, and that is. I, I remember going in and saying, "Okay, where do the Capitals have advantages?" And she's she like, ah, "I don't know." And the first logical place you would go to was behind the behind the bench. And, and I thought he actually coached a very very good series against Florida because you look at some of the underlying numbers there, you look at how that series unfolded. We mentioned not having Tom Wilson. That series kind of played out the way you would want it to if you were Washington. You dominated special teams. Like, game two was a disaster, but, like, it, it got off the rails in game two. It got off the rails in the second half of game five. But really that series, I thought, was played in a manner that the Capitals could have 
And if you're going to tell me they should have won it, okay, I'm not going to fight you on that. You know, I, so I, I think that I think that Laviolette did a pretty good job because considering the injuries that this team had this season, I mean, if you would have told me that Anthony Mantha is going to miss X games, and Nicholas Backstrom is going to miss X games, and all these guys are going to miss all these all this time. I mean, what are we doing? We, if we're doing this show in, in October, I'm sitting there like, that's probably not a playoff team if you're missing all those guys. And you go back to the last playoffs. I mean, they were, it was like a, like, it was insane to just kind of look at the injuries. Backstrom's hip was a problem again. Oshie was banged up. Carlson was banged up. They were, they were all hurt. And I know they lost in five, but that series was really close to maybe going the other way. So, um, Laviolette to me did a pretty good job. Um, there are like capitals don't comment on, on coaching contracts. Uh, the original report years ago was that Laviolette signed a three year deal to be the team's head coach. Um, we, I obviously, I mean, nobody has been able to confirm that or anything like that, but if this is it, I, I, I can't imagine that you would let Laviolette go going into that. Um, so maybe we'll see where we're at in a year's time, but uh, for now, I, I think that Laviolette's done a pretty good job. Uh, I agree with that assessment. All right, Andrew Gillis, once again, thank you for joining me on this edition of Locked On Capital. So for our audio listeners, why don't you tell us where we can find your work? Uh, yeah. Um, well, so you can follow me on Twitter um, at Andrew underscore Gillis 70. Um, that's where I kind of retweet all of my stuff from, from Capitals, from Wizards, from everything. Um, and then you can go to our website, uh slash washington that's where we will have all of our all of our hockey content um as we kind of barrel towards the draft here which is about a month away so so how is it doing double duty here i know that you cover the wizards <laughs> and the capitals i know that jj's right. got to come back at some point um but that has to be a bit overwhelming at time but anyway, Andrew, uh, thank you once again for joining me on this edition of Locked On Capitals as always a wealth of knowledge Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. All right.